You're listening to audio from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more information about Pleasant Valley, visit our website at pleasantvalley.cc. Hey, y'all. Good morning. Thank you, Miss Angela. Appreciate you and uh, excited about that ministry, Truth and Grit. Ladies, encourage you to get involved with that if you're not already. And so if you are here and you are married, there's a great opportunity coming to Owensboro on Saturday, February 29th. Two of the uh, leading and premier marriage experts in America, Greg and Aaron Smalley. Many of you have read their books. are going to be right here downtown at the River Park Center teaching us how to love one another in marriage. Also, nationally renowned Christian comedian. Many of you have heard Dennis Swanberg will also be here. And so I want to encourage you, if you're married, to sign up for that. Men, lead by example will be a great way to have a date day and uh, just grow together. Also, if you're interested in volunteering in any way to help make Cherish happen, we need volunteers. And you can text message your name to 270-993-8176, or you can just text that number uh, up there that you see on the screen. And there are needs for volunteers, a great way to get involved. As well. Before we jump into the sermon, I'm just really excited. I got a text message yesterday, early morning, about from one of our deacons who said, Please pray for me. I'm going to share the gospel today with a friend of mine who is on his deathbed and in, in losing a battle with cancer. And so a number of us prayed for him and got a text message yesterday afternoon that this man who is a few days away from death on his deathbed in the 11th hour, God opened his heart. He believed in Jesus and he saved. So let's just say thank you to God. I want to celebrate God's grace. And uh, man, I was just strangely convicted by that yesterday that I think we underestimate the power of the gospel, that Jesus saves people, but we have to share the gospel. We were at a Miranda Lambert concert last night, shared the gospel four times. I was just so inspired, like, man, people need Jesus. And all I have to do is tell them about Jesus, and the Spirit of God can use that and save anybody. We all have people in our lives that need the Lord, so be bold. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to be a pastor. If you have the Spirit of God and you're a Christian, you are a preacher of the gospel. And so be bold and courageous, and let's lead people together as a church of Jesus, because that is why we're here. That's why we exist, right? All right, well, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be there in just a minute, but uh, our kids have been driving us crazy for two years. Uh, They want to watch Stranger Things. Are there any Stranger Things fans in the house? Yeah, a lot of you love Stranger Things, and uh, Annie and I, for a few reasons, uh, weren't comfortable letting them watch that, namely because we like to sleep at night. And <laughs> so selfishly, we didn't want them to be up with nightmares, because if you've not seen Stranger Things, there's some like monsters and kind of scary forces in the movie. But then we heard about this cool thing um, called uh, VidAngel, which is a streaming company that allows you to basically watch pretty much any TV show or movie you want, and you can edit out the bad stuff, like the profanity or anything inappropriate as adults so you don't want your kids to see. So we started doing that. And two weeks ago, we finally let the kids watch Stranger Things. And within the first 60 seconds of episode one, season one, all three kids were under the blankets, totally freaking out. And that night, two of the three slept in our bedroom floor. So great parenting there. But uh, I guess it was, uh, I, I guess it was worth it. But um, Stranger Things is strange. It's kind of freaky, it's mysterious, a little scary, and um, I think sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we put them in the stranger things category of Christianity. 
and we kind of get nervous or maybe even a little afraid. I grew up at East Katie's Baptist Church, and buddy, we were King James only, and proudly that. So I grew up with thou's and thine's and thy's and thou shalt not, and I love that story. Most of the verses I memorized were in the King James Version. But I remember the preacher would get up there, and when, he, when Brother O.D. Boyd would preach on the Holy Spirit, because we preach from the King James, it often refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. When you're six years old, and the preacher's up there saying how this ghost needs to fill your life, I didn't receive that well. Because all I could think about was like Friday the 13th and the scary kind of ghost. And so I had this discomfort level going on that I think we keep as adults. And here's why I've been thinking about it. So we believe in the Trinity. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. Now, two of the three persons of the Trinity are pretty easy to find ourselves comfortable with. Think about it. God the Father. Most of us, he's on some level... I've had an earthly father. And so we can connect with that. Like, I have a category for a father. We can see God that way. Jesus, the son, is easy for us to embrace because Jesus, God incarnate, was the God man. Jesus had hands and eyes and feet and toes. And one day, the Bible says, we'll see him face to face. Jesus is not a spirit. He is a person. And so we can, we can grasp the father we can, we can reckon with God as Son. But, but then you get to God as Spirit. And it's hard to know what to do with that. Because by definition, God the Holy Spirit is invisible. And so the, the best we can often do is some of the, the images we see in the Bible to talk about the Holy Spirit. Things like fire or oil or the wind, as Jesus compares them to. But here's the thing. Those are all impersonal images. Fire is not a person, right? The wind is not a person. They're, they're images. And so what we often do erroneously is when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about him in impersonal ways. To say it another way, we incorrectly depersonalize the Holy Spirit. And some of us, even when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about him as an it. And we don't even realize we're doing it. This is why one of my favorite commentators, uh, Gordon Fee, uh, writes, I'm paraphrasing, something to the effect of, many Christians view the Holy Spirit as a gray, oblong blur. Friends, when we read the Word of God which, by the way, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm going to say next week, you cannot separate the Word of God. We make this false dichotomy. Oh, well, they're a Word-centered church, but they're a Spirit-led church. I want to say we want to be Word-Spirit-led and Spirit-led, both. But, but many of us, when we, when we think about uh, the Holy Spirit, we, we depersonalize Him and we forget He is not an it. He is not a blur. The Holy Spirit is not some freaky, mysterious third cousin to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. And he's a generous God at that. 
that has generously given his church gifts that we call the spiritual gifts that reflect his heart and character. And so today and over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at this subject of showing the Spirit, pursuing the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. Now, here's the challenge that, that we have together. I think sometimes when we think about the person of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, we automatically, and I do this too, we tend to think about some of the abuses that we have seen in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, well, man, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. That reminds me of, you know, that's the guy on TV with the white suit on that's knocking people over the head with a towel, and they're falling out on the floor, and it's chaos, and then he asked me to mail him a check. Or, you know, James, I went to a church one time that was spirit-filled, and they were running up and down the aisles and barking like dogs. And, like, and so we, we, can we just all be honest for a moment and say, there has been significant damage done in the name of the Holy Spirit, things that are not biblical. That is exactly right. And you don't have to look very far to find it. And it grieves the heart of God. God does not want to be misrepresented. But here's my fear. For, for our church and for every Christian church is that we will get so afraid of the abuses we've seen in the name of the Holy Spirit that we will overcorrect. It is the tendency of human beings and Christians to overcorrect. This Bob, when you're driving down the road and you see the deer, your instinct is, and that's when you wreck. We do the same thing biblically and theologically. I'm afraid we've overcorrected from the abuse to a place where what Francis Chan says, the Holy Spirit has become the forgotten God. We rarely sing about him or to him. We, we rarely mention his name. Sometimes you visit our churches, ours included, and if you're honest, you wonder, I wonder if they even believe in the Holy Spirit. Because they sure don't talk about him. So friends, we have to be very careful not to overcorrect. Now, y'all know that I love me some buffets. I love the Shoney's Buffet. I used to love the Ponderosa Buffet. As soon as the Golden Corral opened here a while back, my kids and I were the third ones in line. I love me some buffets, but y'all, the Trinity is not a buffet. God is Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And we don't get to pick and choose like a buffet which persons of the Trinity we want to accept. Friends, we get all of God or we get none of God, but we do not have the right to sever the Trinity because we're afraid of something another church has done. Listen, 
We get our theology and practice not from reacting to what another church has done poorly. We get our theology and practice from the word of God and the word of God alone. And when you do that, you don't have to be afraid because the very passage that takes most clearly about the spiritual gifts says in 1433, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So if when you think about the Holy Spirit and the gifts, and if all you can think about is chaos, you're not thinking biblically because that is not what God had in mind. So maybe you're thinking, well, that's all great, Jameis, but I don't know if it's worth it to study this because it's so controversial and it's so doggone divisive. And why would you preach on that? There's so many things we could preach on. Well, that is a great question. Um, the first answer is because I must obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has called us to do this. But you're like, well, that sounds subjective. Give me something objective. Give me Bible. Let's do that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the longest section or discourse in the New Testament Dealing with the spiritual gifts. It's three chapters given in one letter to a church at Corinth that is going to see over the next eight weeks had significantly abused the spiritual gifts, in particular the gift of speaking in tongues. Tongues are mentioned 19 times in three chapters because they were largely being abused and overexalted in the church at Corinth. So Paul is writing a corrective, but not an over-corrective word. Paul's solution to the abuse of the gifts is not disuse, but do it right. Do it biblically. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. This is why this is such an important study for every Christian church. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. To say it another way, Pleasant Valley, when it comes to these spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, I want y'all to be informed. Now here's what that means. It means we cannot say we are a people of the word and, and then say, well, the spiritual gifts, we're not going to deal with that. That's too controversial divisive. We don't have that option. You can't do that. You, you don't get to say we're a people in the word and then skip the hard stuff. Can't do that. Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. Thank you. I want you to be informed. We, we can't say, well, that's not important. But Paul says, I want you to be informed. Study it. Look at it. I've given you a lot of Bible to know and to understand. So three reasons today why we need to be informed about the spiritual gifts. Here's the first one. We need to be informed about the spiritual gifts because they show us God. Now, in verse 1 of our text, Paul says he doesn't want us to be uninformed. Skip down to verse 4. We're going to come back to 2 and 3. 
Notice how in three verses here, Paul references all three persons of the Trinity. The spiritual gifts are not a Holy Spirit thing, merely. They're a God thing. The spiritual gifts are an overflow of the generosity of the Trinity. You can't be Trinitarian and have no place for conversation about the spiritual gifts. Let me show it to you. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. I'll get more to this in several weeks. He's going to say the word varieties three times in three verses to show them speaking in tongues is not the only gift because they thought it was. All they wanted to do was speak in tongues. He's like, there's varieties of gifts. Knowledge and wisdom and faith and all these things and all y'all want to do is speak in tongues. We'll get to that. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's the Lord Jesus, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. That's God the Father, first person of the Trinity, who empowers them all and everyone. So again, it's important that we see the spiritual gifts are an overflow of the generosity of the Trinity. But now, notice how in verse 7, Paul draws our attention back to the third person of the Trinity. In particular, the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, to each, I take that to mean each member of the body of Christ. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, highlight or underline that word manifestation. That's an important word. That word or phrase, manifestation of the Spirit, means showing of the Spirit, which is, by the way, why the name of this sermon series, we're calling it Showing the Spirit. That's taken right out of the Greek text in verse 7. Read verse 7 again. To each is given the manifestation or the revealing or the showing of the Spirit for the common good. So this is, this is so important theologically. God says in verse 7 that it's through the spiritual gifts that God shows off or manifests or displays or reveals the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to see him. And he reveals himself to us in part through the spiritual gifts. Now, I want to show you how this is consistent all throughout the persons of the Trinity. I added this last minute. In my quiet time this morning, I was conveniently reading in 1 John chapter 1. And I was, oh, that word looks familiar. Twice in 1 John 1, verse 2, you see the word manifest. Same word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians talking about the Holy Spirit. John talks about Christ, the Son, being made manifest. Look what he says. 
that that life, that's Christ, was made manifest or shown or revealed, and we have seen it. That's we've seen Christ. He was a person. You could touch him and feel him, it says, and to testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So Jesus has been revealed or made manifest to us. And now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, God also manifests or reveals the Holy Spirit. How does he do it? Through the spiritual gifts. So God wants to reveal or manifest the Son and the Spirit. In the inner workings of the Trinity, there's a divine sharing of revelation and glory. But God will not keep himself secret. It is not enough to see the Father. It is not enough to see the Son. We must see Father, Son, and Spirit to see God. So, this is the biblical order of what God desires for his people. Track with me. When the spiritual gifts are displayed, Paul says in verse 7, and used in the church, God's spirit is shown or manifested. When the Holy Spirit is revealed or manifested, the Holy Spirit, it is in his character not to keep the glory there for himself but in humility, the Holy Spirit selflessly takes the manifestation of himself, and you know what he does? He deflects it and points it back to Christ the Son. Spirit of God says, no, Jesus, I want you to be exalted. I want to show people who you are because you died for them. The Father sends the Son, Christ dies for sinners, and the Spirit of God opens eyes and gives a new birth and points us to Jesus. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Notice how right out of the gate, in the biggest discourse on gifts in all the Scriptures, God connects the person and work of the Holy Spirit to the person and work of Jesus Christ. You cannot sever the two. Look at verse 2. Therefore, this is right after he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the gifts. What's the therefore of that? Why? I want you to understand. Verse 3. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except how? In the Holy Spirit. So in verse 1, track, Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts. But then two verses later, he says, listen, this is, this is very important. Here's how you know if you're really in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's when Jesus Christ is being proclaimed as Lord. This is so important. All throughout this sermon series, we're going to have to do some correcting and rebuking. Paul says to Titus, one of the qualifications of an elder is they have to be able to refute false doctrine. 
So I'm going to have to do that some, and I'm not doing that out of an argumentative spirit or out of a hateful or a judgmental spirit. I'm doing this because I'm trying to be faithful to the Word of God. Because so there's so many abuses, we have to look at what the Word says. Now, the display of spiritual gifts and even signs and wonders, listen, in and of themselves are not sufficient evidence that we are truly in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Track with me? Here's why. Because after all, the devil can inspire spiritual speech. The demonic can perform signs and wonders. We need to hear this, body of Christ. In particular, younger believers that are very easily influenced and carried around, as Paul says, by every wave of doctrine. This is why we teach good doctrine. You gotta stick to the word. Here's why. Not everything that you see that is supernatural is from God. We just had a team get back from Haiti. Myself and others were there last fall, meeting with their pastors. Signs and wonders and some healings happen in Haiti through the practice of voodoo. Oh, that's real. Demonic spirits can do signs and wonders too. And in the last days, Paul says, that will deceive many people. So we have to be very careful to know that we're called to test the spirits in 1 John 4. This is why one of the spiritual gifts in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 12 is the gift of discernment. This is so important. Listen, this is where... We can go wrong as a church. This is where any number of churches can go wrong in abusing the gifts. It's two primary ways. First and foundationally, it's when for a church, the Bible no longer becomes their primary authority. But they elevate subjective spiritual experience over the objective word of God. If you do that, you are in dangerous territory. If the experience isn't substantiated by Scripture, it's not of God. But here's the second danger. When churches abuse the gifts, and by the way, the church at Corinth did that, it's sometimes because they don't have people, and I think that includes pastoral leadership, operating in the gift of discernment who can distinguish between what's from God and what's not from God. We're going to talk about the gift of prophecy in several weeks. In two different New Testament books, Paul is very clear that just because someone says that they have a prophecy does not mean it's from God. It is not the same. New Testament prophecy is not the same as Old Testament prophecy. It is by definition fallible. This is why Paul says, when you hear the prophecy, weigh it, test it. Hold fast to what is good, implying some alleged prophecies are not from God. 
You must discern through Scripture and through the gift of discernment. So, yes, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the display of the spiritual gifts and even things like miraculous healings, which we've seen right here, may very well accompany the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is all throughout the New Testament, and I will make the argument on Sunday, February 23rd, there is no place in the New Testament that says any of that stopped. Mm Mm-mm. But the, the litmus test, the primary evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit is this. It's that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed as Lord. If you were to go to the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago and say, hey, who's the most spiritual person in your church? You know what they would have said? Oh, it's Lucy over there because she speaks in tongues the most. That's what they would have said. I'm going to show you that from the text. But the Apostle Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. Here's who's the most spiritual in the church. It's the person who with their mouth and with their life proclaims Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how you know you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Which is exactly why Jesus himself says in John 15, 26 and in multiple other places, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Holy Spirit of truth, what's he gonna do? What's the first thing on the Holy Spirit's job description from the Father and the Son? He will bear witness about me, Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit comes first and foremost to bear witness about Christ. Now, let's put all that together and wrap it up and go to point number two. Back to verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So in verse seven, the Holy Spirit is shown off through the display of the spiritual gifts. That's very clear in the text. But verse 3 teaches that the Holy Spirit longs to exalt Christ as Lord. Therefore, this is the equal. Therefore, how much more then will Christ be exalted as the Holy Spirit is exalted in the gifts? Do you see how God's ordered this? Pleasant Valley Here is the final assessment. If we want to see more of Christ, we must have more of the Holy Spirit. Listen, everybody in our circles wants to talk about being a Christ-centered church and what the Bible says is, listen, you can't be a Christ-centered church unless you're a Spirit-led church. You can't do it. And so, listen, wherever we land on the spiritual gifts, and we're a diverse church, people have different views, and we're cool with that. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. I don't expect that. So wherever we land on the spiritual gifts, though, don't make the spiritual gifts an end in and of themselves. The spiritual gifts are first and foremost for the glory of Christ and His gospel. So Pleasant Valley, what that means is that to resist the spiritual gifts is to resist Christ Himself. Hey, as a pastor, I'm going to say we fall short in many things as a church. And most of it is probably my fault. 
we're going to stand before God someday. And so help us, God. One area in which we must not sin is we must not resist God himself. I said this in the first service. It wasn't in the original notes, and I think I need to say it again. Um, you can go into some very dangerous places when we're thinking about these things. And so I want everybody, wherever you stand, whether you're a cessationist or a continuationist or something in between, I want you everybody to pay very close attention. This is for everybody in the room. There are no exceptions, preacher man included. There is one unforgivable sin in the Bible. It is not adultery. It is not divorce. It is not abortion. There is one unforgivable sin. It is blasphemy against the third person of the Trinity. It is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the, the reason the room is so quiet right now is very appropriate. The posture, the openness, the humility, the meekness, the teachability in our hearts towards the person of the Holy Spirit. We need to be very, very, very careful not to credit to Satan what the Holy Spirit has done. So when we're talking about other churches and other movements that maybe we think are a little off sometimes or way off, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. That's a line I don't want to cross. So the first reason Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts is because they show us God, and our greatest need is more of God. Secondly, Great, I got seven minutes to do two points. This is going to go well, so uh, I'll get through these quicker. Number two, we need to be informed about the spiritual gifts because they build up and strengthen the body of Christ. Eleven times in three chapters, Paul says the purpose of the gifts is to build up the body of Christ. He says it in verse 7. Therefore, the common good in chapter 14, verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. He says it in 14, 26. When you come together and use your gifts, let all things be done for building up. So 11 times, clear references, the spiritual gifts are for not our own glory. This was the problem in Corinth. They thought when they spoke, spoke in tongues, they were like, ooh, look at me, look at how spiritual. Paul said, no, 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 no. The gifts aren't about you, they're about other people. They're to build up the body of Christ. Who doesn't want a stronger church to be more built up? So it's the first of the year and everybody's got a new gym membership, right? Planet Fitness is packed, it's crazy in there. It's absolute chaos. Uh, getting an elliptical at Planet Fitness is like trying to get milk from Walmart the day before they call for an eighth of an inch of snow in Owensboro. <laughs> People think it's a snowageddon. <laughs> People, we need 47 gallons of milk because it might snow a half inch tomorrow, maybe. So it's crazy in there right now. And uh, what we all know in three weeks, the Planet Fitness will be as empty as the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team's roster. 
after that brawl, which, by the way, was awesome to watch. When that Kansas player had a chair, I was like, that is amazing television right there. I'm just glad it was Kansas and not Kentucky. But so anyway, everybody wants to get in shape for the new year. We got all these resolutions, so we're on that treadmill. We're doing those dumbbells and all that stuff. Listen, who who doesn't want a stronger body? Everybody does, right? So Pleasant Valley Community Church, it is the will of God that we be a stronger body. God calls the church, it's a metaphor, the body of Christ because we can understand it. We have arms and legs and muscles and feet. They need to be strengthened. God has given his church a spiritual gym membership. He's given us dumbbells. He's given us weights and rowing machines and bench press machines and ellipticals and treadmills. Listen, having a church that doesn't use the spiritual gifts is like going to the gym and there being no exercise equipment there. And everybody feels a little better about themselves because they went to the gym. But it's kind of a joke because nobody's actually getting stronger. Pleasant Valley, if, if we are uninformed about the spiritual gifts, and if we don't seek to empower the body of Christ with their usage of the spiritual gifts, then we will be a weak body. And weak bodies are more likely to get sick. Weak bodies won't have the strength and resiliency to fight the attacks of the devil in our church and our families. Weak bodies won't have the courage to go out into a crazy lost world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pleasant Valley, we need spiritual gifts because we need to be stronger for the mission of Jesus. And in conclusion, number three, we need to be informed about the spiritual gifts because they in the Spirit's presence bring conviction and repentance. Now, we're going to end kind of heavy here, and um, we're going to end with a time of repentance and confession as a church, because the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and he will not dwell among an unholy people. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't want it to be my sin that quenches the Holy Spirit from doing a mighty work in this church in this city. When the Spirit of God moves through His gifts or otherwise, conviction of sin inevitably sets in. In 14, 26, he says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So when we come together and use the gifts, the body's built up. But that's not all that happens. This is amazing. I just learned this a few years ago, just studying the text. Back up two verses to verse 24, and Paul says that the spiritual gifts can also even bring conviction to to those in the congregation that that aren't saved. Did you know that? Look at verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy, one of the spiritual gifts we're going to talk about, and an unbeliever outsider enters in, and they do every Sunday, we're so thankful there are a lot of folks here that are not Christians yet. But when that happens, the unbeliever is convicted by all. Convicted, what? Through the display of the gifts. And he's called to account by all. The secrets of the unconverted person's hearts are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. And then a few verses later, verse 33, he says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now look, I want to be very clear here. When we talk about the Holy Spirit of God coming and the spiritual gifts being used in the church, we're not talking about people swinging from the chandeliers and doing backflips off the stage. Not what we're talking about. 
Verse 33 says, he is not a God of confusion, but of peace. But Paul says back in verse 25, when the Holy Spirit comes through the spiritual gifts, like prophecy is the example in verse 25, he says, even lost people will stand up and say, my goodness, I don't know everything about this Jesus, but God must be real. I cannot deny, because the Spirit of God is manifest, and people believe in God and are convicted, the text says, and get on their face. How? Paul says, through the display of the gifts. What are we talking about with this sermon series? We're talking about the Spirit of God coming like he did at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in such a tangible way that when the gospel is preached, thousands of people stand up and say, what must I do to be saved? I'm going to tell you right now, no sermon can do that in and of itself. No song set can do that. That must be the power of heaven coming to earth. We must have the Holy Spirit or nobody ever gets saved around here. Listen. As you can grow a church, we've done that. 25 people starting almost 1,000 now. You, you can grow a church. You can fill seats. It's actually not as hard as you would think. We can have excellent programs and ministries, but we can do it all without the Holy Spirit. Just because a lot of people are gathered somewhere doesn't mean God's there. Friends, we can appear to have what is a successful church, but if the Holy Spirit of God isn't here, we're nothing more than a religious country club, and that's for the birds, man. We're talking about the Holy Spirit moving in this church in such a way. Now listen, I'm going to be very specific here because it starts with me. This is what I mean by the Holy Spirit of God coming to church. It's when grown men, it's when grown men, we are so convicted that we, we swallow our pride. And there's a lot of ego among Christian men these days. We swallow our pride and we get on our faces before God and we repent and we ask God to forgive us and our wife and kids to forgive us for not being the spiritual leaders that we're called to be by God. That, that's what I'm talking about. See, I'm not talking about crazy stuff. I'm talking about repentance. Some of us watch Sports Center far more than we look into our own wife's eyes. And we, we look at the Wall Street Journal every night and we're not praying with our kids. And man, we need to repent. See, when the Holy Spirit comes, you, you won't keep on living in sin. You'll, we'll be convicted. And there, there, there are people secretly living in pornography, and you know exactly who you are, and it's men and women. And the Spirit of God is going to bring that out and going to bring about conviction. But there are people that are secretly drinking every single night, and you know who you are. I'm not an alcoholic. If, if, if you're drinking every night, you're an alcoholic, Probably. And you're like, well, that's, that's friends of sinners. No, no. That, it's people in this room that make six digits, and you're an addict to something. And the Spirit of God needs to bring you to your knees in conviction. It's so easy to pick on drug addicts and adulterers and porn. Hey, brothers and sisters, when the Spirit of God really begins to move, we're going to be convicted of our materialism. 
of all the debt we acquired over Christmas to try to keep up with the Joneses. We spent money we didn't have. We're going to be convicted over the jealousy in our heart towards we had towards other people in this room. Some of us need to be convicted of the bitterness in our heart we had towards other brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not from God. Friends, if there is bitterness lingering in this church, the Spirit of God is being quenched. Don't you be the one that's responsible for that. When the Holy Spirit of God comes to church, I'm talking about people being radically generous. Some of us have retirement savings set up, and we could take that money, and we could plant 50 churches with it, and we're letting it set there. You're not going to take it with you. I'm talking about there are people moving towards retirement in this church, and, and you need to not coast out the past 25 years doing nothing but playing golf and, and, and bingo. You need to take your last 25 years of life, and God may be calling you to adopt a, a, a kid or five. God is calling some of us to spend our retirement years not here, but overseas in an unreached place for the sake of the gospel. Well, that's radical. Now, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to be a holy people. The Lord's going to shake us up. Let's bow. Y'all, a lot of what I've said today is for me. I've not been the spiritual leader God's called me to be. I've struggled with so many of the <laughs> sins that I've talked about. And uh, I'm going to be the first one at this altar on my knees here in a few seconds, and I want to invite you to join me. If the Spirit of God has convicted you in any way of any sin, I want to invite you to get low before the Lord in repentance. Dads, if you're here with your families, I want to challenge you. You take your spouse by her hand and your kids, and you pray over them. And you ask God's blessing upon your family, and you ask the Lord to purge your home of any sin. There are young people in this room, there are kids and teenagers right now, and you are stealing from your mom and dad. And you're getting high on the weekends. You're skipping out of school. And you think you're getting away with it, but God sees there's a woman in this room right now and you're having an emotional affair at work and you have no idea that you are playing with fire. There's men that have been wrapped up in porn and you don't think anybody knows it, but God knows it. And today is a day the Spirit of God convicts you and you repent. There's forgiveness in Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus. Don't resist the Holy Spirit's conviction. He is holy and he will not dwell among an unholy people so for the sake of your life and your family and your friends and your church let's repent together don't be the reason the spirit of God can't move here let's not grieve him let's open up our lives to his movement and his conviction so I want to ask you even now if you feel that to move forward Join me here at the front. Let's get on our knees and let's pray. If you want to pray where you are, but let's spend these next few minutes in prayer and repentance as a church, corporately and individually, confessing our sin to a holy God.